Please open your Bibles to the book of Jude. I'm going to read verses 17 through 23. And we're going to look at the structure of this paragraph and what the Lord calls us to do. It is our privilege to be reading the very Word of God. It is inspired. It is infallible. It is inerrant. It is His Word. Therefore, out of respect and reverence for the author of Scripture, please stand for the reading of His Word this morning. Beginning in verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt, save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to respond that we would be the people that you want us to be, dear Father. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. When you look at the book of Jude, and we've, uh, in the times that I've been with you, we've been in it a couple of times. Uh, You'll also hear the benediction that I use Uh, which comes from the book of Jude. And next Sunday, I'm going to deal with that particular portion of Scripture and hopefully allow you to understand why I choose that for the benediction. I'm not sure you hear it very often, but you'll understand why I love it. As the book of Jude begins... Jude, who was a brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand that through church history, uh, as he introduces his authorship in the beginning, he says, servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. The James to which he's referring was James who became the leader in the early church, who was one of the brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle James was martyred early in the book of Acts. He was the first one of the apostles to be martyred. So that's not the James that Jude makes reference to. This James referred to in the book of Acts is a brother of Jesus Christ. And thus historically we believe Jude to be another brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's saying as he begins his letter, it was my intention to write to you a a pleasant letter, one that was encouraging, one that was edifying, helping you to build, be built up in the faith. But 
I found it necessary, we read this in verse 3, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered for the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed. Well, James, or excuse me, Jude is talking here about the reason I write this letter is because you have to be willing to fight for what you believe. You have to be willing to contend for the faith because people have crept in. And brothers and sisters, this is, this is the example of, of what we find in all denominations, in all seminaries. Over a period of time, things happen and there is a drifting away. That's why the PCA came into existence in the first place. And so Jude is encouraging the readers of his letter, these members of the body of Christ, that you've got to contend for the faith. This is what I'm calling you to do. Then he gives a series of examples all the way from the beginning of when uh, the, the Lord brought the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. Uh, that's what you find in verses 5 through verse 16, examples of these things that have happened in biblical church history. And then he comes to the end, and this is what's really neat as he addresses these people. He refers to them by saying, but you, beloved. And he calls them that three times because in the midst of what's going on around them, these folks have been called to be faithful. But you, beloved, you're to be something different. And that is described in verse 21 when he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Okay. Now, the beauty of the scripture is you deal with it just like you would using proper rules of grammar. Your main verb here is keep yourselves in the love of God. It's a present tense verb, it's active voice, and it's imperative. It's not a suggestion, it's not a request, it's a command. So Jude is commanding these dear beloved, faithful believers, he's commanding them to keep themselves in the love of God. Okay, the word keep means to watch over, to guard, to attend carefully, watchful care of a present possession, cultivate the relationship, work on it. So this is the picture. I command you to work on your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would continue to be faithful, that you would continue to grow. It's a command. It's present tense, which in the Greek means it's ongoing. So this command that Jude is giving to the people is something that begins at that point in time that they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and is, continu and is, to, continuing on. It is to continue on, present tense. And it's active voice, which means who's responsible to make it happen? not a passive verb. Passive, remember, we're being acted upon. 
the active verb, we do the action. And the action is going to be talked about in reference to the participles that follow, but that comes in just a minute. But the picture here is that our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ were to keep ourselves in the love of God. Remember, it's a present possession, and I ha I'm to exercise it with watchful care. I'm to guard that relationship. I'm to cultivate it. Uh, we see this described by both Paul and Peter. Philippians chapter 2 which in essence, the book of Philippians was in essence a thank you letter as Paul's writing to the Philippian church that had presented him with gifts while he was in prison. And Paul writes in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, Who's responsible to do the growing? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So the picture here of this keeping is once again, that's something we are to do. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2, as he's talking about these different gifts that the people have, 2 Peter, excuse me, chapter 1, verses 3 through 10, but uh, Peter says in verse 10, he's gone through a list of characteristics that are to be in the life of a believer, and he says in verse 10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So the picture here is, and please understand, this idea of, of keeping ourselves in the love of God, working out uh, our salvation with fear and trembling, to, to make our calling and election sure, please understand the significance. God is the one who saves us. We had nothing to do with that. That's the beauty of grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. He saved us for no other reason than, than he chose us to be his. And that salvation became a reality through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We experienced that personally at that point in time that Jesus Christ becomes our Lord and our Savior. We are justified based upon what Christ has done. That begins the process of sanctification, which is growth. We exercise our choices. That's where that active verb comes into play, brothers and sisters. An example would be, we sit down and open the Bible and read it. And we read it 
in such a way that it changes our lives. That's the working out of that salvation. Works are evidence of, not reason for. The reality of our relationship with Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, is demonstrated where? The way that we act and the way that we react. It's not a works righteousness. It's a manifestation of what has happened in our lives. A new heart has been given to us. We're to keep ourselves in the love of God. How do we do that? Well, that's where the participles come into play. Again, as we continue our English lesson, a participle is a verb that's oftentimes used as an, act, as, as an adjective. Uh, commonly, it's an ing verb. And so Jude not only gives us this command that we're to keep ourselves in the love of God, we're to watch over this relationship, we're to guard it carefully. It's a possession that I need to, to uh, value greatly. Well, how do I do that? Well, this is where the participles come into play. Once again, the participles, I-N-G verbs, are present tense and active voice. There are three of them, three participles. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. The primary verb is keep. Keep this relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't be one of those who has slipped away, one of those who's crept in and is undermining the, 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 the whole process of, of the gospel. Uh, here again, we've seen this throughout church history. We're seeing it even today. So as we think in terms of keeping ourselves, we're to do three things. Number one is building, building up in your most holy faith. Jude is talking about Christian growth. The idea of building up, and here again, it's a Greek word that has a prefix on the front of it. The particular Greek word in, 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 in includes the building process. The prefix epi speaks of building upon a foundation. Okay? We understand from Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, Ephesians chapter 2, that the foundation upon which we build is our relationship with Jesus Christ. You build a house, brothers and sisters, what's the most important part of it? It's the foundation, right? That relationship based upon the Lord Jesus Christ and then the building up is the putting of that house on top of that foundation, putting the pieces together, adding the rooms, painting, who knows what all's going on here, but it's the picture of building up on this foundation. The foundation is our relationship with Jesus Christ. As you keep yourselves in the love of God, well then you're going to grow. 
You're going to build upon that foundation. Okay, how does that take place? A couple of things to keep in mind. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, verses 42, it's talk, the, 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 the author Luke is talking about the characteristics of the early church. And one of those characteristics was the apostles' teaching. What were they teaching? They were teaching the Word of God. The last time Paul saw the elders of Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, he's on his way back to Jerusalem. He doesn't know if he'll ever see them again. And what he says in verse 32 of Acts 20 is, Now I commit you to God and to his word. The key to our growth as believers is spending time in the scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're told that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. It's profitable for us that we might be taught what the Lord wants us to be. He communicates to us through Scripture. Brothers and sisters, that's why one of the critical issues in our culture today is what is the Word of God? What's the Bible? It's not just a great devotional book. It's God's very Word. Peter tells us in 2 Peter that we were born again by the living and breathing word of God within the context of all fleshes like grass and the flowers of the field, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord, what? Stands forever, remains forever. 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter's writing and he's talking about probably one of the greatest experiences anyone could ever envision. You remember the story. He and James and John went up to the Mount, of, what we call the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus Christ. And it was here on this mountain that they saw Jesus Christ transfigured. The glory of God shone through him. And out of the clouds they hear, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What greater experience could anyone ever possibly have? And yet Peter writes, that we have something even more sure. Reading from 2 Peter chapter 1. Again, the experience. But we have something, Peter says, to which we do well to pay attention as the lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretations. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit.
We can't put our trust in experiences. We put our trust in God's holy word. So the importance of scripture in terms of that growth. Secondly, the importance of one another within that growth. Jesus Christ in the upper room. Judas has been dismissed to go do his thing. And Jesus says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. So he's telling these 11 men, all very unique individuals, all very different individuals, but he's commanding them again, not a request, not a suggestion. He's commanding them, you are to love each other. And by the way, I gave you an example of how you're to love each other. And he goes on to say, and by this, the world will know that you are mine. So the fellowship that believers enjoy, a fellowship that is based upon our love for one another because Christ loved us first, is a living testimony before a watching world as we help each other grow, as we come alongside each other, as we keep each other strong, as we maintain these relationships that become the bond for our service together, becomes a testimony before the watching world. And it's these verbs that demonstrate our building, helping each other to be what God wants us to be as we are built up in our faith. Sacraments. The importance of having the sacraments. Man, you know what the sacraments are. Baptism in the Lord's Supper. Why did the Lord give us these sacraments? Well, shorter catechism. 92, these are holy ordinances instituted by Christ, wherein by sensible signs Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. The building up process involves these visible signs. When someone joins the church, when they're converted, First thing that we do is baptize them because this is a sign of what has happened internally. And as we see an unbeliever being baptized, that should encourage us in terms of our own baptism. We have the, privil the privilege of believing in what's known as covenantal theology, which included children within that process. And to see an infant baptized. And by the way, this is based upon Old Testament. Please understand the, the beauty of these doctrinal things that find their foundation in the Old Testament. Old Testament sign was circumcision. New Testament is, is water baptism. We don't have bloody signs anymore because Christ shed his blood. But these signs remind us that we might be strengthened, that we might keep 
ourselves in the love of God. Every time we have the Lord's Supper, being reminded of what he has done on our behalf is a means of keeping us strong, keeping us close to him, building up upon that foundation. Secondly, second participle is prayer. Now, prayer in the Holy Spirit uh, isn't talking about tongues and miraculous things of this nature. Uh, read the book of Galatians, Galatians 5, as Paul talks about walking in the Spirit. He's talking about the Spirit guiding us as we seek to live our lives. And how does the Spirit guide us? Through the Word. So the idea of praying in the Holy Spirit doesn't mean any kind of special event but it's the Holy Spirit who has brought us in this relationship as the Holy Spirit has worked in us that opens that door for us to be a people of prayer. This is what Paul's talking about, or it's going to be Jude is talking about in terms of praying in the Holy Spirit. It's interesting in Ephesians chapter 6 when uh, uh, Paul's talking about a believer getting ready for battle and he uses the picture of a Roman soldier. Paul, writing within the midst of history, and Roman army was the most powerful army in the world at that time, and so the picture is getting ready for battle. And we talk about all this armor and uh, the importance of the sword, which is the word of God, uh, and we act like there's a period there. There's a comma. As Paul goes on, this daily battle, this, this getting ready for what's, what's, what, we're, what we're supposed to be doing, uh, uh, we pick up the word of God, the two-edged sword. There's a comma praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To, the, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And for me, Paul says, brothers and sisters, prayer is an essential part of the Christian life. Prayer should be something that we do first, not something that we hear and we bemoan and all go through all these kind of things. It's something that we need to be quick to do. Prayer, as I prayed earlier this morning, when Jesus Christ said on Calvary's cross, it is finished and lifted up his spirit, what happened to the veil that separated God from his people? It was torn from top to bottom. Thus the way is open for believers to come into God's presence at any time with any request because it's like children coming into the presence of their father with Jesus Christ our prophet, priest, and king as the advocate sitting at the very right hand of God the Father prayer not a last resort Quick, quick to pray. And in a couple of the instances, Paul specifically says, 
pray for me for these things. Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Prayer. Shorter Catechism 98 says, Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. A good pattern for prayer is the word acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication prayer a vibrant relationship with our father our heavenly father the third part is simple waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ this speaks of waiting for the Lord's return once again uh, you have a prefix which adds to the intensity of the word, and it talks about eager anticipation, expectantly looking. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we ought to be looking forward to the greatest historical event that could ever happen, and that's the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. That anticipation begins at the point in time when we become Christians and ends at that point in time when either he calls us home or he returns. This eager anticipation doesn't in any way mean, oh, we count down the days and we look forward to all this kind of stuff and all this neat stuff's going to happen. Here uh, again, that has nothing to do with this eager anticipation. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, Jesus is with his disciples, and their question is, as he's about to ascend into heaven, their question is, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Lord, is, is, you know, when are you going to do this? He told them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, guys, it's none of your business. My Father has established this. In other words, the end of history as we know it. My Father has established this, and your responsibility is to be busy about the things of the kingdom until he comes back. Or until he calls you home. So as we read in the book of Acts that the apostles have been commissioned to go forth. And this is where we read, you'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the uttermost parts of the world. In other words, you're to be busy. We're not to worry about dates and times and first chances and second chances. We're to be 
living with anticipation of his return. Where de, uh, uh, Paul describes it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 as like a thief in the night. How many thieves are going to call you up and say, I'm going to rob you tonight? There are parables that speak about always being ready. So this idea of living eschatologically recognizes that we have been saved for a purpose. We're not here just to take up space. We're in, but we're not of. Our call, and this is what the apostles were told to do, you're to go and you're to bear testimony to the reality of Jesus Christ, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the other most parts of the earth. You're to impact the world in which you live. And that's what we are called to do. So this idea of waiting with great anticipation means that we live out the reality of our faith. We seek to be salt. We think to seek to be, uh, to, to be light in the midst of the darkness. And then Jude goes on just to make sure that they don't uh, lose sight of this as he talks about sharing the gospel by getting involved with others and seeking to impact the world in which we live. We're not here just to take up space, brothers and sisters. We're here, and that includes everyone who names the name of Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. God has saved all of us for a reason. We have gifts, talents, and abilities that are to be used for his glory and his glory alone. And so that as we live out the reality of that relationship with Jesus Christ, as we keep ourselves in the love of God, we don't want to slip off the rails because of laziness or apathy or, or, or doubt. God has called us to serve him faithfully. Keep ourselves in the love of God. Remember, that's a command, not a request, not a suggestion. Keep yourselves in the love of God. You're building upon that foundation. In other words, you're growing. And that's what sanctification is all about. You're growing. And we're people of prayer. A relationship between God the Father and his children. Our prayer lives should be real, should be, vibrant, should be vibrant. As we wait with great anticipation to that day that he returns. Oh, the king once again has arrived. First time to suffer the second time for victory. And we live our lives out in that great anticipation as we seek to serve this great king in all that we do. Let's pray.
Father God, we do thank you for who you are. And we do pray, Father, that we would heed the words of Scripture, that the command to keep ourselves in the love of God would not be something that we would just kind of slough off. Eh, no big deal. But may we grow in our knowledge of you and in our understanding of you as that foundation which was established by Jesus Christ and that house that is built upon it. Oh, Father, may our prayer lives be real and vibrant and often. And Father, may we not grow weary in the battle, but may we look forward with great anticipation to the return of our great King. And dear Father, whether it's because you've called us home or we're here when it happens. May we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, may our lives exalt Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.